We started talking about Colossians chapter 2 two weeks ago, and Paul is saying that um, we need to be rooted and grounded and grow in our faith. But then he went on to first tell us what it isn't or how we should not be grounded. There are ways that people think and people, we have been taught to be grounded and rooted and be strong in our faith. So he said that this is not how you grow in faith. Is that you should not try to grow your faith through philosophy and empty deceits of men according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not... Not according to Christ. So these philosophies and traditions that you'll find in churches, and in fact even some of the evangelical churches, are traditions of men that are powerless. Everybody say powerless. Powerless to do what? Powerless to number one, make us righteous. Number two, give us confidence. And number three, enable us to have victory. So traditions and philosophy of man, be it religious and even Christian philosophy and traditions, they are powerless to, number one, cause us to be righteous, number two, cause us to be confident, and number three, it's give us, um, the, uh, give us ability to become overcomer of all the struggles. Now, how did he do that? How then does God make us righteous, confident, and victorious in our living. Or well, number one, for righteousness, the Bible says He had forgiven us our sin. You all know that already. God has forgiven your sin. And that He had canceled all your debt. Right? How many of you have your sin forgiven? Let me see your hand. I want to see. You're sure that all your sins are forgiven? Come on, raise your hand up. I just want to see who is not sure. If you're not sure, then, uh, then we'll, 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 uh, we'll give you a coffee later. All right, so, so he's doing that by forgiving all of our trespasses, cancel the record of debt that stood against us. I'm reading off Colossians chapter 2. And that he had set aside, everybody say set aside. Set aside all the legal demands on us. And nailing them to the cross. Why did he do that? That is powerful because by doing that, the Bible says he has disarmed authorities and rulers to manipulate, control, and cause us to live in guilt all our lives. Have you ever felt like it is never good enough for you? That God is never happy 100% with you because there's always something that you need to do to find more favor from God? Well, you know, the Word of God says that Jesus has disarmed those authorities by removing all the legal demands. In other words, no one should able to come to you and say to you, you know, you haven't done this enough, you haven't given that enough, and therefore you need to do more in order you can get more favor from God, more grace from God. But the Bible says Jesus disarmed them, so nobody can do that unless you let them. So the philosophies of man and traditions of man are powerless to make us righteous because God has forgiven all our trespasses, canceled our record of debt, and nailing all the legal demands to the cross. But for confidence, after you become a Christian, is another story. So you receive salvation. You know, Billy Graham had a crusade. You went out there and you respond to the altar call, and he said, everything is free. Free 
freely you come to his altar and receive his grace. And you believe that, you took that. And then after you receive Jesus, then for many people it would feel like they changed the story. Then it's not free anymore. Because they say that in order for you to have true confidence to come to the presence of God, you need to do A, B, C, and D religiously. Confidence is important because if you ever want your prayer to be answered, you need to have the confidence. The Bible said that you need to have the confidence when you come to him that your prayer is being heard. And so people will tell you that this is the philosophies of man or this is the tradition that we do all this time in order for you to achieve confidence. Verse 16 of Colossians chapter 2, read this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the question on food, of, of food and drink or with regard to festivals or new moon or Sabbath. These are but the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So, Paul, Paul the Apostle is saying this, your confidence should not be from men. So don't let men pass judgment on you and saying this is not good enough. What you have not been doing is not good enough, and therefore you need to observe a certain rules. Now in this context, Paul the Apostle is talking about the Jewish traditions about what not to eat and what not to drink and so on and so forth. And so a lot of people in those time, in Paul's days, you know, after they become a Christian, they be part of the church, new teachings start to come into the church. They say, no, 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 your faith is not enough. What you need is you need to observe all those Jewish festivities and traditions. In our vernacular, in our day, the reference of, of today in our generation and our time is that there are many people on top of the gospel will tell you that not only you need to subscribe to the fact that God has forgiven you and given you the confidence and you can therefore now boldly come into his presence, the, the throne of mercy, they tell you that there are steps for you to do to get there in order to obtain the favor of God and therefore that you can now freely and confidently come into the presence of God. And Paul the Apostle is saying, don't let those people use rules and traditions to take away your confidence because those rules and traditions including the Jewish rules and traditions are but shadows you know what a shadow is right let me ask you a question you see this tree here this tree got shadow can I call the shadow trees the shadow is not tree right look at my shadow is that me? There's not me. In other words, the Bible tells us a lot of the rules and tradition of man in the church, in different religious circle, they are not real. They are but shadow. Turn to your neighbor and say, religious rules are fake. Tell them religious rules are fake. They will not give you the confidence you need to enter boldly into the presence of God, to receive from Him, to pray, to intercede, to do all that you need to do. Because I will tell you this, if you have tried to use religious rules and tradition to obtain the favor of God, to, to see your prayer answer, if you have tried, you would have known that it had not worked. 
all this time throughout generations within churches, yes, even evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic churches, is that we have somehow introduced rules and regulations to tell people that these are the rules. You know, there is a danger to turn principles into law. If you take a principles and make it into a law, meaning that God has a certain legal demand on you to meet, then you will realize that those principles that have become law, they're absolutely powerless. They can't do a thing for you. But there are also people that find confidence in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you on insisting on aestheticism and a worship of angels. Let me talk about asceticism first. That word asceticism means, that's the definition here, severe discipline or self-denial with great strictness. So you and I have been told that after we become a Christians, if you have a certain strict discipline you impose on yourself, then you will be able to achieve a certain spirituality and that you have more anointing and you'll become more successful. Boy, I tell you, I tried that, it didn't work. You know, I used to, if you read my book, you know that I used to insist of 21 days fast every single year in the beginning of the year because I was told if you fast enough, you will have the anointing and the power. I did, I fasted. Now, I'm not saying fasting is wrong. You know, if you felt like you need to have the spiritual discipline, you go ahead. But don't impose on people. But anyways, I fasted, and I got the whole church to do it. Some of you were here. You know, poor soul, bless you. I love you so much. You did it, man. Awesome. Right, Louise? Louise, I remember she's still here. Yeah, she did the 21 days fast, right? Some of you were here, 21 days fast. And after I had the 21 days fast, not a peep from heaven. I didn't have any more anointing that I had before. Now, I felt good religiously. I felt more pious. Oh, I, I fasted 21 days. I can talk about it, which I'm talking about it now. <laughs> but, you know, they were powerless. And, you know, I have, I have all kinds of strict discipline I impose upon myself because I thought, you know, if I do this, God in heaven, look down, would feel you know, at least pity on me. It's like, oh, poor soul, look at his, this fool. Let, let me, let's just give him a morsel of success. That's how I felt. I felt that way. But, you know, nothing, nothing came from heaven. There's no response. Paul said, aestheticism and worship of angels going on without, about vision, puffed up without reason by this uh, sensuous mind, they are powerless. They cannot give you the confidence. What would give you the confidence? He say, holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together, together is joints, ligaments, grows with uh, the, a growth that is from God. Now, this is a very heavy-duty words. He will later explain what that means. But needless to say, if you want to ever feel confident to pray and receive your prayer answer, religious discipline is not a way to go. I'm going to tell you this right now. I tried it. I'm 52 years old. I pastor over 30 years. I can tell you from experience, it don't work. Bad English, but it's still true. It doesn't work. 
So religious rules, traditions, and philosophy of man cannot cause you to be righteous, cannot cause you to have more confidence, and on top of that, it does not give you any victory. In verse 20 of Colossians chapter 2, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits, and we explained a number of weeks ago, elemental spirits really is the mosaic law and traditions, okay, of the world. Why, if, you, if you've died to them, why, as if you were still alive in the world? Well, you know, every time when I was young, I was told that worldliness is opposite to religion and religious practices, Right? If you don't study your Bible every day, if you don't pray half an hour to an hour a day, and that you watch a lot of movies, you go to a lot of party, you are worldly. And that you shop on Amazon every single day, which I know many of you do, because you have nothing else to do these days. Amazon box coming to your house every day. Then that's worldliness. Materialism is worldliness. That's what we're told. But here, Paul is actually implying that being religious is worldly. Hmm. Right? As if you were still in the world, human religion, how? Submit to regulations, verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't eat pork. Don't eat lobsters. Don't watch too much Netflix. <laughs> no condemnation. Right? Paul said those are human precepts and teaching. And watch this. This is my final point, And this is the main point for the day. I'm talking about having, being righteous, being confident, and finally able to overcome struggles, particularly in this case, sin. We are told that you need to observe strict religious discipline. Verse 23, it's powerful stuff. These religious disciplines and human tradition and precepts and asceticism, worship of angels, vision, all that, you know, don't eat this, drink that, the other thing. They all have indeed, they all have indeed an appearance. Everybody say appearance. They all have an appearance of wisdom. They're not even real. They appear wise. They all have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But watch this. But they are of no value. Everybody say no value. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul is saying you want some victory? You want victory in your life? All those religious practices, they are powerless. They're powerless. Because if you have all that without Christ, 
is powerless. You need to have an encounter with God. Now, Paul is going to explain more next week. <laughs> he is explaining it in Colossians chapter 3 already, but we will we'll pause here, but we'll talk more about it. But you know, we have been telling a lot of people, I, I, I am guilty of that. I used to be a youth pastor, and I was a very strict youth pastor. <laughs> I tried to run the youth group like a military. And boy, was I ever strict. And there are people that come to church with jeans that were part of the worship team. I tell them they are not part of the worship team anymore. And look at Pastor Young. He should be fired. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, stop it. <laughs> You know, I used to have a lot of rules. But you know, many of those rules, if you don't have an encounter with God, is powerless. And that's why young people, when they grow up, they think to themselves, this thing doesn't work. I am struggling as much as ever been. I am like the rest of the world. All these religious practices, you know, they don't work. So they've decided to leave the church. And I don't blame them. I think they are smart. I'm going to tell you this. If it doesn't work, you got to have to ask the tough questions. Don't wait until you are 88. I don't know if I can say that online, but I saw, I'm going to say anyways, I saw Larry King announcing his eighth divorce this week. Eighth divorce. Wow. He must be like 160 years old. I mean, he looked like 160. Sorry. I hope I'm not going to get sued. But you know, so this is what he said when he announced his divorce. He said, I had a heart attack recently, and he did. And he's in his 80s, by the way. And so he started asking himself these questions. What can make me happy? What do I need to do? Because he realized that this marriage of 22 years, and he's been married to this woman, I don't remember her name, for 22 years. And that's the eighth marriage and the eighth divorce. Most of the other marriages lasted around six to seven years. But this one lasted 22 years. So he asked himself this question. This doesn't work. I need to turn my life around. <laughs> a lot of guys do that these days. They call it midlife crisis. For Larry King, it's the end of life crisis. <laughs> So people wait till the very end before they ask the hard questions. Do what I do, do they work? Because friends, if you've been religious, I, I appreciate that. But as your pastor, I want to tell you this. You need to ask yourself this question. All the discipline that you have cultivated and have, are they working for you? And a lot of times we say, well, you know, we're doing it for afterlife. Listen, man, you are saved already. Your afterlife is guaranteed. Can I hear an amen? Whatever the Bible teaches, whatever Jesus has done to show is to show us how we can live like God on earth. Because when you get to heaven, you don't need to learn anything. 
because your spirit man is perfect because you know you said why is it perfect because the bible says that when you're born again your spirit joined with the spirit of christ in other words it infuses with the spirit of god and god does not share real estate if your spirit is not righteous by his blood he would not infuse his spirit to your spirit so it tells me that when you're born again yes you may have some bad memories even bad habits and struggling with different things your spirit is still perfect. What God wants to do is to cause you to grow in your, in your person, in your soul, in your mind, to align with that spirit so that you can live as victorious and as powerful as your spirit. Your spirit is living inside you and it cannot come out and it's been hidden. And your, your flesh, your soul, your mind has been blocking your spirit man to overcome and become triumphant. And the world or the religious world had deceived you saying, you in order for you to to really live like your spirit man you need to observe all the rules it is not true next week we're going to talk about how it is not with religious discipline but with spiritual discipline yes there's some kind of discipline not religious you don't have to please god please man on anybody it is a spiritual discipline that you can have victory confidence in your faith and that you can have confidence also in your righteousness. I'm going to show you next week. But one of the things, one of the disciplines that you and I need to develop in our life is the discipline of joy. Everybody's turn to your neighbor and say joy. You know, joy is very powerful. So in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9 and 10, The Jewish people just came back from the exile. And a law was being read to them. And many of them felt like they were so far short of the law of God. So far short. And they said, well, you know. We and so they started to weep. They said, we are so not worthy. And in the eyes of men, they were not worthy. In the eyes of religion, they were not worthy. But we're talking about the time of law nonetheless. Nehemiah stood up. He addressed the congregation. He said, stop weeping. For this is the day of the Lord. Do you know the day of the Lord is the day of rejoicing, not the day of weeping? But religion will tell you that when you come to church and you come to God, you, you need to be so sorrowful and so feel so sorry about yourself and, and that, that you're not worthy. You, you need to beat yourself up. And that's what they were doing, all those Jewish people. And Nehemiah said to them, no, this is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day that you ought to rejoice. Is today the day of the Lord to you? I'm asking you, is today the day of the Lord to you? If today is the day of the Lord to you, it ought to be a happy day. Turn to your neighbor and say, be happy. And that's why Nehemiah says, okay, he said this. This is the day of the Lord. Go back and have a feast, a communion of some sort. He said this. Go and eat the fat. That's scriptural diet. Eat the fat. I kid you not. Go to Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. Eat the fat. 
Next time your wife bothers you about, hey, don't eat so much fat. You said, this is a scriptural, biblical, holy diet. Hey? Especially in the summer. You know those Tim Horton, Horton, uh, Horton uh, Tim Horton? Tim Horton um, uh, ice cappuccino. You know, you can have ice cappuccino with 2% milk. <sighs> they don't taste as good. If you do ice cappuccino, you need to do full fat. But seriously, what Nehemiah was telling them was, eat the fat. You know why he said that? Because the fat is the choice food in those days. In fact, in the eyes of God, it's a choice food. You know, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll find that um, when they were commanded to sacrifice animals, this is what they need to do. They need to drain the blood around the altar. So God wants to have the blood to be drained. And nobody should eat the blood, but they should be given to God. They drain the blood around the altar. And after they drain the blood around the altar, God said, I want you to take all the fat part and I want you to put it on the altar and burn it. I don't know if you've been to barbecue before, and I'm sure you have this summer. How many of you have smell? fat burning animal fat burning how many of you smelled that before they are the sweetest smell out there i you know i mean you just you just put a fat you just put a a, a meat with lots of fat on it and put it on the on the barbecue grill man i'll tell you it smells so good and god says in the old testament i want you to put the fat on the altar because it is a pleasing aroma to my nostril I don't know why our God thinks choice food is fat food. Now, these days, we don't think that. That's fine. Now, watch this. When it comes to communion, Jesus himself now become the preferred sacrifice. Not fat of the animal, not blood of the animal. Now, Jesus become the preferred sacrifice. And he said the same thing as Nehemiah. Instead of eating fat and drinking sweet, which were the choice drinks and choice food, he said, this is my body. This is my flesh. And this is my blood. He commanded his church to feast on him. And that's what we're going to do today in our communion is that we're going to feast on the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, that statement would freak a lot of people out because when Jesus said that, all his disciples, the Bible said, took off. It's too scary. Are you promoting cannibalism, Jesus? Are you promoting cannibalism, uh, um, uh, Pastor Paul? Well, Jesus said, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, which is my sacrifice unto the Lord on your behalf, will have eternal Zoe. In the English term, is eternal life. Life, because of the limitation of wording in English, there's no such thing called Zoe. So the translator translated to life. But life, it means so little in English terms. Zoe means full rich, healthy, and whole life. 
Not only are you going to have that, but you're going to have it eternally, forever. A lot of people think that you have eternal life when you die. Nonsense. You have eternal life the day you eat of His flesh and drink of His blood. That's the communion. I want you to stand this morning. How many of you have not received a communion? Raise your hand. If you haven't got a communion, you say, I don't have any communion, raise your hand. Uh, our frontline um, uh, worker is going to give it to you. Anybody? There's, um, there's one person here that doesn't have. Okay, anybody else? Okay. So three things to remember today. Number one, if you were to partake in this communion as Nehemiah had taught, the first thing you need to do is to rejoice. Don't weep. Don't cry. Examine all you need to examine. Father, forgive my sin. You know, wash away my sin. He's faithful and just will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do all the confession you need to do, but you have to rejoice. Walking out of church should not be a sad event. Actually, let me make them a correction. A lot of people are very happy walking out of church. But walking in church, many people drag their feet. Oh, I got to go to church again. Some people were complaining. Why are you doing it outside, Pastor Paul? It's so hot. I love it inside. We got AC, cushion, the whole thing. <laughs> but anyways, coming to church got to be the most joyful thing. And you say, I don't feel it. Well, I see that's the problem. You know, joy is not a feeling. Joy is a decision. Especially when you have everything that you want and desire not going according your way. Some of you having children not serving God. You say, oh, I wish they're here. If they're here, I'll be so happy. Some of you haven't got the job you want. You say, I wish I had a job. Then I'll be happy then your happiness and joy is based on your circumstance and spiritual people. One of the discipline you must have, spiritual discipline, is to be happy. Discipline yourself to be happy. I'm not kidding you. Some of you look so sad. You have a smile on your face. You say, oh, I'm happy on the inside. Well, inform your mouth and your face that you're happy on the inside. So the first thing is to rejoice in the Lord. And the second thing is really to believe what He said. He said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have a perfect life. How many of you want to have a perfect life? The key to perfect life is to eat His flesh and drink His blood. You think, well, is it really His flesh and His blood? This is just symbolism. You know, I'm not a theologian. I'm not deep. I may have gone to, to study Master of Theology, but who cares? I'm still not deep. <laughs> but if Jesus said, this is my flesh, who am I to argue with Him? Right? You can go and dissect and do all kinds of exegesis or whatever on what He said. But you know, when He said, this is my flesh, I'm a simple folk. I believe it. So if you could peel the first layer up and take the, 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 um, the bread out. Well, I don't know what that is, but praise God. It is a bread for us. 
And as you begin to raise this bread in confession, I want you to do so in joy. As though you have won the $30 million lottery. Because you have won a trillion dollar lottery in Christ Jesus. And I need you to lift it up and confess it by faith. Heavenly Father, I choose to rejoice over what you have done for my body, for my mind. I am healthy. I will be healthy. No COVID, no pestilence of any sorts, no sickness or disease will ever come to me or my family because your word says so. When I take this, I take this by faith for me and my household. We shall be healthy in Jesus' name. Thank you for what you've done. If you believe that, go ahead and eat that. Now the second part is really important. It's about righteousness. You heard me say just now that all the human philosophies, traditional practices of, of human religion, self-made religion, they are worthless and powerless to make you righteous. You say, what would make me righteous? Only one thing, the blood of Jesus. I want you to know if you are born again Christian you may be struggling with in different areas in your life you may be struggling with sin but in your spirit Paul the Apostle declare that you are as he is not you will be but you are as he is in other words you are as righteous as you can, pos can, can possibly be righteous, can ever be righteous. There's no more righteousness that you can earn. Sure, your mind, your soul, your body is still struggling. You're working it out with trembling and fear, but your spirit man is perfect before God. So when you partake this, I need you to partake this as a righteous person not because of what you've done or haven't done what you've given or haven't given but because of what Jesus had done on the cross and he declared that it is finished and if you have received him it is also finished what does finished mean? does it mean you have to try all over again? you have to start all over again? when he says it's finished it is finished once and for all yesterday today and tomorrow do you know that jesus has forgiven your sin even tomorrow the ones that you haven't committed you say how is it possible well you know two thousand years ago when he declared it is finished you weren't even born and yet he said it is finished in other words he had seen through the through the time of you being born you making mistakes and you coming to him and he said it's finished it's done so it's forgiven your sin yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I want you to receive it by faith.
And let no one cause you to be ever, ever, ever being guilty again. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who in Christ Jesus walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What that means is by faith. After the Spirit means by faith. So by faith, let's declare this. Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that had made me righteous in your eyes. I ask that you forgive all my sins. I do so by faith that you already done so. I receive that, all my mistakes, all my errors, all my struggles are not in your mind. You have forgotten them already. I thank you for that. I stand before you as righteous as Jesus is. I receive and believe that in Jesus' name. If you believe that, go ahead and take, take the cup. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise the Lord. 